I'm in Cairo, Egypt right now and it's been just a, an amazing, amazing story getting here and just amazing experience just being around the people. Stepping off the plane when we got here, um, walking into the terminal here in, in Cairo and looking around, it was surreal. And, and you get off the airplane and and you get into the city that is just like so packed with people. There, like, there's people everywhere. I, I see the city, all these people, 25 million people in this area, and I just need to focus on one person at a time. Just this resonating phrase in my spirit that is everybody a soul. They're human, and they they care about people. These people had no problem sitting us down and playing games, sitting us down and providing a meal or, or providing drinks. And, and to me, that's where it hit me that I was like, these people are no different than you and I. Trying to go through their day, trying to be good, good people, um, they're just blinded to the truth. And just, just really God showed me, like, I created these guys, and I love them just as much as I love you. heard the call to prayer uh, and without Christ without hope without Jesus stepping in those people are lost forever and they're lost in eternity and it broke my heart for those people it broke my heart in a way that I wasn't prepared for in a way that I didn't expect in a way that I still am not quite sure how to process but I know that there's a hope for them. I know there's an answer for these people, and that answer is Jesus. And I have struggled with this trip being like, God, I'm only one person. What can I do? Like, why am I here? And maybe that's me needing to step out in faith more. Maybe that's me saying I need to take a hold of that calling that God gave me. It doesn't really matter what our position is as long as we're answering the call of God in our own lives. God's continually wrecking my heart in this area of reaching out, of sharing, of reaching the unreached. I have to be willing to let God break my heart for people and to go beyond my comfort zone, to go beyond what I think I can do. I'm ready to abandon the normal, abandon what I know, what I, what's comfortable for me. I'm ready to abandon all that so that other people can have life so that other people can know Jesus Christ. It starts with obedience. What are you going to be obedient about? Where, where are you going to start? Where's your foundation? What has God called you to? What is God speaking to you? How is God challenging you? Be ready to walk through whatever doors he opens, whatever that may look like, whatever that may be, and know that he has a plan and that he is with you. Be ready to be challenged and to step out and get out of the comfortable. If you truly want to be used by God, you can't have control of any part of your life. Because as long as something is in your hands, God can't use it. If you want God to use you, 
you have to fully trust Him. You have to fully give your life to Him. You have to give control of every area. Continue to surrender your heart to what God wants to speak to you. Not to live a life for yourself or for your own gain, but to live dead. There was an Assembly of God missionary who was walking around in the middle of Ramadan, the Islamic holiday. And as he was walking around, the Holy Spirit said, stop, that man right there. Go tell him about me. Now, do you realize as a U.S. missionary to tell a Muslim man in the middle of the largest Islamic festival holiday that this could mean possibly being deported immediately, kicked out? Holy Spirit said, go talk to that man right there. Go tell him the gospel. The missionary obeyed, and as he went to the man and began describing Jesus to the man and who he was and began sharing the gospel with this man, this man looks at our Assembly of God missionary, and he asked him a question that shook me. He said, what took you so long? What took you so long? This man had been seeing visions of Jesus. This man had been seeing bright white lights and dreams and revelations. And finally, there was a missionary who gave up comfort, who gave up America, who gave up life here to go to maybe set up a divine appointment for one man who'd been searching for truth and now finally was getting an answer that this man was Jesus. But his question strikes me as interesting. What took you so long? Why have I waited so long to know now? It reminds me of a story of Hudson Taylor pioneering the mountains of China, going and serving and laying his life down, hoping that the Chinese would come to know Jesus. And he showed up to this village where there are no known Christians. And as Hudson Taylor is preaching the gospel, as Hudson Taylor is preaching and ministering to this village people, this man stands up, this big warrior looking guy stands up and says, this is the truth. This is the truth. He said, my dad for over 30 years has been searching and seeking for the truth. He's tried Buddhism. He's tried Taoism. He's tried Confucianism. My father has been searching for over 30 years. I'm his son. My father's father has been searching for years. My great-grandparents have been searching for years. This is it. And he asked Hudson Taylor a question. Mr. Taylor, how long have you known this about Jesus? How long have your people from your country known this about Jesus? And Mr. Taylor says, well, sir, we've known for centuries, for hundreds of years, we have known Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life. And this man who says this is the truth looks back at him and says, what took you guys so long to wait to come to us? My dad died searching for the truth. My dad never knew. And yet something in his heart longed that Buddhism wasn't the answer. Confucianism wasn't the answer. My father's been seeking for years. Why did it take you centuries to show up to my place? What took you so long? The title of my final sermon is What Took You So Long? Do you realize 
42% of the world has never in their life ever heard the name of Jesus. 42% of the world has never heard the name of Jesus. 42% of the world has no access to a church. 42% of the world has no access to the Bible. 42% of the world has no access to a missionary. So my question to us is what's taking us so long? What's taking us so long? We have seen the gospel spread around the world. Did you realize one out of 12 people in the world today are spirit-filled Pentecostals? Yes, I didn't make that up. One out of 12 people in the world are spirit-filled Pentecostals, followers of Jesus. The church is moving in the earth. Iran is exploding with church growth. South America, Africa exploding with church growth. Where we see church declining in America, God is moving among the nations. He's moving in the earth and here's the deal. As a church, we are either moving with Christ and we are on mission for who he is and what he came to do, or we have completely missed out on what it means to be on mission with Jesus. Tonight I came as a middleman. Tonight I came as a voice for the people who don't get microphones, for the people who still have yet heard and still have yet known the name of Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, I go where the gospel has not been preached. That's why I do what I do. I go to the very places where the gospel is not. It's not the intelligence of man. It's not the wit and charisma of speakers. It's not the affluence and influence of people. What it is, is ordinary men and women who make themselves available to the disposition of the spirit who says, who will go for me? We love to sing worship songs. God, I'll go where you want me to go. Oh, really? Do you really mean that? No, actually, I'm not going to go unless there's a Starbucks there. Now, there's no Starbucks. I don't really want to go. We need men and women of faith again who will just simply obey and go where God is asking them to go. Christ said, I came to seek and save the lost. They wanted Jesus to stay, and Jesus said, no, I must go to the next village, to the next village, for that is why I have come. And then he told the church, wait in Jerusalem till I baptize you in my Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Tonight I wanted to direct us to a passage where we see the final words of Jesus on a cross. And in this final words, it was a prophetic declaration for the church. Remember when Jesus had his arms stretched wide and he was about to take his final breaths And Jesus utters out in Matthew 27, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we read that, we can maybe begin to feel sorry for Jesus. Or maybe that Jesus is falling prey to, oh, I'm all alone, no one cares about me. Did you know a Jewish rabbi was notorious for quoting one verse? 
And that one verse would lead to the whole passage in the Torah for people to draw what the intent of the meaning was. So when Jesus is on a cross and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize he's directing the whole church? He's directing the whole audience. He's directing all of the scriptures back to one verse that he quoted in Psalm 22. And he's trying to draw the listener. He's trying to draw the attention to say, I have a final declaration. I have a final message. And it's right here. It's right now. It's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what's beautiful? Is when you open your Bible to Psalm 22 and you begin to realize what Jesus wanted the church to know. It says this in verse 27. This is powerful. It says this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. And then it finishes the verse in 28, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Do you realize that when Jesus was on a cross and he ushers out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not, oh, woe is me statement. It is not, oh, how lonely am I statement. It was a prophetic declaration that all the nations will one day bow down and worship him, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess. He was uttering out that he is the God of all nations. That he is the God of the nations. That is who he is. That he started something called Israel to be an example for the world. And then the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 has this revelation that the spirit was meant to be poured out, not just on Jews, but the spirit was meant to be poured out on all people, all nations, all over the world. So to the 42% of the world that is still waiting for the gospel, they may ask us the question, what took you so long? When Christ's command was go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. In other words, church, don't stay in the pews. Church, don't get comfortable. We have a mission. We have a command to go. Church, I am the God of all nations. And the reason why missions currently exist is because worship doesn't. And the final picture God gave us was worship around his throne, glorifying him. And so the reason why we do missions is we give our dying last breaths to be people who will be on mission to see the nations know Jesus. He is the God of all nations. You know how pastors sometimes end their messages? God bless them. May your face shine upon them. Do you realize in Psalm 67, there's another verse added on to the verse one. It says this, that the reason why God blesses you is so that you can be a blessing to the nations. In other words, you are blessed to live right here in Minnesota, to literally be a blessing to the nations. There's some people that say, well, we have, all our, we have so many needs right here in America, why would I ever think about the nations? Well, there's so much going on in my current city. I, I have my hands full. Did you realize the gospel and the light shines only brighter? 
when we incorporate the nations into our actions. We incorporate the nations. I remember as a seventh grade boy being asked by my youth pastor at Cedar Valley, he said, Micah, do you want to go on a missions trip? I said, what's a missions trip? He goes, well, we're going to Monterrey, Mexico. He didn't say it like that, but you get the gist. And I think you're supposed to go, Micah. And I was in seventh grade. And I remember being up in the mountains of Monterrey, hearing the cars, the city sounds below. My dad had just divorced my mom, left me and my three sisters. My sister was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I find myself as a broken boy sitting in the mountains of Mexico. And a worship leader pulls out his guitar in the mountains and he begins singing how holy God is, how amazing God is. And in the mountains of Mexico, I literally begin to just weep. And in this moment, I'm not weeping over a broken home back home. I'm not weeping over a family that's trying to piece itself together. I am weeping because in one moment, God begins to break my heart for the nations, for people who speak a language that I don't speak, for people who look different than me, that they too might know Jesus. And then fast forward to a moment where I'm in Israel touring the Holy Land, walking the places where Jesus walked, looking at all the things and visiting the places where Jesus ministered and I just wanted to erupt with praise. I wanted to find somewhere just to get away and finally the tour guide says, hey, uh, we're going to stop here in the Garden of Gethsemane and we're going to let you have some time just to process and I'm like, thank you Jesus, finally some time to process and I remember going into the corner of the garden with my back up against the wall and I opened up my Bible to the passage where Jesus is in the garden and he's saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. If there's any way to take this cup of suffering from me, God, let it be so. But God, not my will, but your will be done. And then when I closed my Bible, I looked up and in the garden of Gethsemane that day, I saw people from Asia with their Bibles open. I saw people from South America with their Bibles open. I saw people from Africa with their Bibles open. I saw people from Europe with their Bibles open. And in a garden that day, I saw the fulfillment of what obedience looked like for Jesus to take the sins of the whole world. That Christ had in mind to be the God of the nations. And if God is for the nations, and if God desires to seek and save all, that none should perish, then church, are we on board to, are we on board to see the nations know Jesus? Because you and I in the room get to be a response to the question, what took you so long? Jesus in Psalm 22, he, he goes on to say in verse 30, it says, posterity will serve him. Remember, he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The whole context of Psalm 22 says this, posterity will serve him. This is my favorite part. Future generations will be told about the Lord. He's on the cross and the message he's given to us is, hey, this is not a moment of defeat. This is not a moment of woe is me. This is a moment where the nations 
will bow down, the nations will know, and then hold on. I have in mind the future generations who have not even yet been born, that they too will be told about the Lord. This is powerful. On the mind of Christ in his final moments is the nations, is the people groups, and then it's the future generations that have yet known. And what I love is when prophecy shows itself in real-time form, where we watch generations upon generations being told about Jesus. I get to travel and preach across America literally to thousands of people every year. A majority of my preaching assignments are to the next generation, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Can I just tell you, I wish every person could get a front row seat to the things that I get to witness in this next generation's life, to watch the gospel unravel these kids, to watch the gospel and these kids be moved by what they're hearing. Powerful. And then to think about that Jesus said in Psalm 22 that the future generations will be told about Jesus. Church, we have an assignment. The assignment is to the nations. The assignment is to the future generations. But you want to know what's powerful? Is when the future generations actually teach us, the old people in the room, a lesson. I want you to meet some friends of mine. Their names are Jason and Monica. This is a picture of Jason and Monica. I'm sorry, not that one. Just hold on. No, no, leave it on that one. Jason and Monica, they end up giving birth to a boy named Nolan. Nolan had spinal muscular atrophy. And when he was born, the doctors looked at Jason and Monica, the mom and dad, and said, your son, on average, has a life expectancy of six months to maybe two years at most. Anything beyond that would be a miracle. Right now, you're staring at a miracle. His name's Nolan. That's his brother, Blake. Nolan was in a camp service just like this. You want to know what the Holy Spirit spoke to Nolan? Nolan, who's now 18 years old, was in a wheelchair. And God said, Nolan, I want you to give $12,000 to missions so the nations might know me. He's in a wheelchair. He can barely talk. His parents interpret what he says through a tube. And rather than giving excuses or sitting down and saying, well, no, that will never be a reality. That's his brother, Blake. God spoke to Blake and said, Blake, I want you to give $3,000 to missions. Between the two brothers, they were going to give $15,000. Behind them is an ice cream truck. You want to know what these two guys do? Is they travel around the country selling ice cream to give all the money away so the nations will know. These two boys have given over $25,000 to missions so generations of faith can be expanded so the nations can know Jesus. Come on! I feel like Kirby St. John right now. Come on! Come on, get up! Here's the deal. When Jesus was on a cross, he had Nolan in mind. That future generations will be told about Jesus and the nations would know. 
that's amazing. He is walking out in his God-given purpose. He's walking out in his God-given identity. And you want to know what's beautiful? Is the sacrifice of a mom and dad who say, son, we're behind you. Take a look at this picture of Jason and Monica. Every camp service I preached, every single night. By the way, this is Illinois camp. True story. They do two services back to back every night for their teenagers. They have 1,200 teenagers. They can't fit them in the room like this, so they split up two services. Every single night, mom and dad are holding their son's hands up in worship so their son can worship Jesus. They provide around-the-clock care. They provide around-the-clock caring for their son. And then when they get to worship services, they're there holding his arms through the whole worship set. When I think of the question, what took you so long? I can't help but think about people who are responding to that very question. I can't help but think about people who won't give God excuses, but they'll say, God, I can do something to reach the nations. God, I can be a part of answering that question, what took you so long? I met a girl in Alabama. You can put up the next picture. The shirt I'm wearing tonight is from Alabama. It's a Speed the Light shirt. And this girl, Sierra, you wanna know why she's holding an award? because in just a short amount of time, she gave over $5,000 away from her own work money. This girl needs to save up for a car, needs to save up for college. But here's what you don't know about Sierra, is when she was younger, she was praying for her dad to overcome his drug drug addiction. She was praying that her dad would be set free from the drugs and she'd watch her dad give her life to Christ. And she came home one day and found her dad dead from a drug overdose. She never saw her dad get set free, never saw her dad give himself to Jesus. And she was sitting in youth group one night and she heard about how every time you give a dollar to missions, it represents a life that comes to know Jesus. And God spoke to her that night and said, Sierra, I want you to give $5,000 away. And when they interviewed her and they said, Sierra, why would you give so much money away to missions, to people you'll never meet? Sierra, why would you give so much away? Why would you do all this for missions? You want to know what Sierra said? She said, my dad is no longer alive to know and hear about Jesus. But the reason why I give is so that other kids who have dads alive around the world, that those kids' dads might have a chance to know about Jesus that those kids' dads might have a chance to hear. I love when Jesus says the nations will know, and I love when Jesus says future generations will be told about the Lord. But the most beautiful thing is when the future generations are doing the actual part of telling others about Jesus. The whole point of this whole message tonight is what Jesus says in scripture, is that he has done it. He has done it. 
Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Come on. This is powerful. Here comes the Kirby St. John again. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. The reason why we do missions is to proclaim to a world who has yet known, who has yet heard the name of Jesus, he has done it. And when he was on the cross, it was not a defeat. It was not a moment of loss. When he was on the cross, he was proclaiming victory. When he was on the cross, he was proclaiming the other side. That death, sin, hell, and the grave had no power over what God was doing in that moment. But it was declaring a prophetic victory cry. That he has done it. He's done it. That's why we do what we do for the nations. There's a young girl in my youth group. She ended up deciding to go serve overseas in the Middle East, single, not married. Sometimes we tell God what we don't have. God, I don't have a spouse, so I can't do it. God, I don't have enough money, so I can't do it. It's like we love telling God what we don't have. And she just obeyed. She said, God, I'll go. God began speaking to her at a young age at a camp. Huh, go figure. This girl obeys, and she goes overseas to the Middle East. A girl right here out of Minnesota. And as she's there learning Arabic in the language school, She's praying, God, give me opportunities to reach people. God, give me opportunities to make friends. Four kids from the Arabic school come over to her house. She has a Bible sitting on her table, knowing that when they walk in her house, that they'll see a Bible. And the four students walk by and they say, what's this? And she goes, oh, this is a Bible. And every student says, what's a Bible? They never heard of a Bible, never seen a Bible. And then she began describing to them about the God of the Bible, and they rebuttaled about the God of the Quran, the God of Allah. And they asked her, have you read the book of Quran? And she goes, yeah, I have read the book of Quran. Their eyes got big, their eyes were wide, that someone else, a foreigner, had read their holy book. And they go, what did you think of our book? And she said, honestly, when I read it, I saw demons. And I put it down. And they're like, oh, really? And started kind of making fun of her. One of the boys from that night said, tell me more about the God of the Bible. She goes, why don't you have coffee with me and a friend next week? They meet at a coffee shop. The friend that she was bringing was a Muslim who radically got saved and gave their life to Jesus. When they were at the coffee shop, this friend shares how she left Allah and left Islam to follow Jesus and how it changed her life. Before... They ended the coffee time. This girl out of my youth group, she was praying, God, give me a word to tell this boy. God, give me a word, a prophetic word, something, God, to tell this man. God said, tell this boy he's a good, good father. She goes, that's weird. That seems odd, but okay. And at the end of the coffee appointment, she looks at this boy and she goes, hey, I feel like God wants you to know something. And he goes, what is it? She goes, God wants you to know that he is a good, good father. And right when she said that, this boy began to weep and break down in the coffee shop. He said, back in my own country in Turkmenistan, my dad's a religious leader. He goes to the mosque and teaches, and when he comes back, he beats my mom 
and he beats me. And I've always wondered why in the world would I ever follow a law when I have a dad who teaches all these people but then abuses us. And the fact that you're saying God's telling me that he's a good, good father, right there in that moment, this young man gives his life to Jesus on the spot. He gets water baptized. And then they're sitting in a coffee shop a week later, studying the Bible, studying the scriptures, discipling them. As they're in the coffee shop, a bunch of kids from Korea walk in the coffee shop. And they ask him, why are you here? And these kids from Korea, they said, we're here telling other people about Jesus. This boy who just gave his life to Christ, his eyes got really big. He said, hold on. There's other people in the world that don't look like you, that know Jesus too? You're telling me there's people in Korea that believe in Jesus too? And she goes, yeah, there's a lot of people in the world that believe in Jesus. And then he asked this question, how come nobody's come to my country to tell my people about Jesus? How come they come to Egypt? How come they go other places? How come no one's come to my country to tell my people about Jesus? My friend, my young girl in my youth group looked at him and she said, why don't you be the first person to go back to your village and tell others about Jesus? That young boy went back led his college roommate to Jesus and ended up leading his dad and his family to Jesus. I think of a Sierra Davis who said, I give so other kids' dads around the world can know Jesus. And then I'm hearing a story from a girl out of my youth group who literally hears of a dad coming to know Jesus through his son who came to know Christ. So I have one question for all of us in the room tonight. What's our response? What do we do? Here's our response. Our response is to give, our response is to send, and our response is to go. It's to give, it's to send, and it's to go. people who are retired to go. We need people in their 60s and 70s who are willing to give their life on the mission field. We need people who are young who will go. We need people who will lay down their life to say, Jesus, I will go. 